after much prayer and reading a scripture and some more prayer and thinking I have my word like uh, Brother Curtis and then God changing it. That's happened a few times. The Lord gives me a verse uh, this year and, and a, a, a word and a verse to go along with it. But uh, this one sticks out a little bit. This one stuck out to me like, uh, like my brother sticks out in Japan. So if you, if you don't know, my, my brother's about 6'4". I don't know where my size went. I guess he got it all. I got the good looks. He got the height. So, um, But I'm about 75% uh, done with my Master's in Divinity at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Next spring, I'll be taking my final class, which will be a mentorship class with Pastor Micah. I'm not sure everything that entails. Well, thank you, Jensen. Uh, but I've been the pastor here since 2017, and Pastor Micah has been mentoring me since before then, and he'll be my mentor during that class. If he doesn't know, I'm letting you know now, Pastor Micah. Um, so I'm thinking that might be an easy A. We're, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I'm hoping anyways. I'm, I'm down to five, down to five classes. And I'm excited. I, I've been working at this for oh, five years now. Uh, and, and I'm ready to be done. Uh, going to graduate school while working two jobs and coaching football and coaching wrestling and coaching weightlifting. And I even did a year of golf. I've never played a game of golf an entire 18 holes of golf my entire life. But I coached it. Best part's driving around on a golf cart. But coaching, you know, Judah's a hurricane, and my lovely wife, and spending time with them, and it's been a process. It has been a challenge, and it's grown me. And it's because of that attitude, though, that the Lord placed the word knowledge on my heart. I need to remember what this is all about, right? I have to spend, I have spent time reflecting on why I started this program five years ago, and it's about having a stronger theology. It's about knowing Jesus more and more and more and because I want to be in closer relationship with him, the person that knows me better than anybody else on the planet. I mean, she knows me better than I know myself. Um, she can already tell me what I'm going to say before I say it is my wife. Um, and why would she do that? Why does she invest in me like that? And it's because she loves me and she sees value in knowing more and more and more about me. She pursues a relationship with me. She invests herself into learning about and really knowing me. I have no idea why. She could have done way better, but I'm glad she chose me. And thank you, Brother Curtis. I'm sure Miss Nancy was amen and for you as well. But, I, but I'm here for it. Y'all don't talk like this when Pastor Mike is up here. I'm going to tell him y'all do this to me. All right, so, but we all do this, right? Maybe even unknowingly, we invest our time in things that we choose to love, right? My wife can quote the entire movie, Nacho Libre. I don't know if y'all have ever saw, seen that dumb movie. It's about a fat Jack Black wanting to be a Mexican wrestler, okay? Dean loves it. Dean was it for Halloween, actually, okay? And I'm here for it, but... We watched it with the youth one night, and half of them looked like they were asleep, and Blair and Caleb Nelson are over there singing the songs and <laughs> quoting the movie. They love it. Judah can tell you every monster truck's name because he loves monster trucks. He knows Gravedigger and El Toro Loco and Bigfoot, and that, that's about all I can name. But he loves them. He thinks monster trucks are awesome. And that just goes to show you, he may not have been born in Ocean Way, but that boy has a lot of Oceanway blood in his veins. 
All right, my, my dad is an encyclopedia of information for classic rock bands. Like, he knows them all. He knows all their hits. He knows the lead singer's names. He knows the albums, when he saw them all. Like, he texted me the other day and told me that Ronnie, oh, Ro, Ronnie Spector, I don't even know who that is. No idea. She, she or he died. I don't even know if it's a man or a female. Okay, the Ronettes, the lead singer of the Ronettes knew, and I guess I was supposed to grieve over that one, and I'm, I hope she's in the presence of the Lord, but I have no idea who that was, but he did. I mean, Pastor Micah can tell you all kinds of stats about the Georgia Bulldogs, and I've heard from him a couple of times this last week about a certain game that took place. Lord willing, it takes another 41 years for them to get it, so I don't ever have to hear it again. Uh, rest in peace, 1980 jokes. Uh, but we all know... All these things because we love it. We want to know about it. We invest our time in it. We want to strive to have more knowledge about it. I'm not in seminary so I can have a master's degree. It'll be cool, but that's not why I'm doing it. I started this journey because I want to know more and more and more about Jesus and what his words say. And when I do have it, though, I do expect um, y'all to treat me like a Jedi and call me Master Chambers. Okay? Um <laughs> I have spoken. Um, it'll be cool, but that's not why I'm doing it. I, I see value in knowing God, knowing his word, and I see value in that. I see value in gaining knowledge about him. And really, how can we call ourselves Christian if that was, isn't what we're, we most know about, right? I'm not talking about being a biblical scholar here. Okay, we all can't be Dave Thomas. But we can memorize memory verses, right? And you might just be sitting there, not me, I got a terrible memory, but if I offered you $100 for every Bible verse you could memorize in a month, some of y'all would be walking out of here millionaires because we see the tangible value in memorizing the verses now. But the Bible tells us that Scripture is worth more than gold. And if we believe in the gospel and we believe Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, then between the pages of the Bible, is, the Bible cover is literally life and death. Now, don't get me wrong. Just because you can memorize Bible verses doesn't make you a Christian. Satan knows scripture, so, or scripture, excuse me. So don't get too high and mighty if you think you, can, you know a lot of scripture. You memorize the book of Leviticus, and nobody wants to memorize the book of Leviticus. But if it isn't done with a heart for Jesus, it really doesn't matter, right? But we want to know more about him. See, my goal for 22 is to know Jesus more personally. That's my goal. My goal for the youth ministry is for these young men and women to know Jesus in a real and personal way. My goal for my family is for all of us to know Jesus more. Blair and I have started doing evening devotionals together. We just, uh, Paul David Tripp, I believe, is the author. We've been go we're going to be going through that. Once Judah is down, we read together. We talk about devotion. We talk about the scripture. Um, for Judah, I pray each and every night that that young man, that I'm pointing him to Jesus. I can be the best dad in the world, but if I'm not pointing that boy to Jesus, I'm, I'm not doing it right. And when he is old enough, I pray that he comes to a salvation and faith alone, through Christ alone and Scripture alone. And every night he prays the same verse he memorized at the age of four. Christ is my strength and my shield. My heart rests in him. Or my heart trusts him, excuse me. And we just signed him up for karate. I apologize to the Sunday school teachers. Because you will get judo chopped. All right? But he loves it. I hope he excels at it. Uh, he also plays soccer. Um, he's not much of a runner. Okay, nothing about me says I run. 
Okay, but he has fun. He, he runs faster to get water than he actually does on the field. But he's active. I'm not sure if that's going to be his sport. Okay, he also plays t-ball. I don't know if that's going to be his sport either. He spends more time making like dirt angels and playing in the dirt than he actually does paying attention to actual t-ball. But we'll see what happens. But he practices for all these things, right? And he wants to be better at them. I hope he does turn into a good little athlete. And, and Blair takes him into the backyard, and she'll kick the soccer ball with him. I'll throw the baseball and the football around with him. He wants to get better at these things. We want him to get better at these things. But while that has some importance, it's not lasting importance. There will be a day when he no longer competes in baseball and soccer and karate and all these things. What is lasting is where he's going to spend eternity, though. And while I think practice is important and games are important, I believe church is way more important on the scale of, of things. Just like you take your kid to various places to get better at football and dance and soccer and baseball and all the things, you need to have them here so they can learn how to be a disciple for Jesus as well. We need to be helping our kids gain a saving knowledge of Jesus just as much and even more than we are working to help them learn how to swing a bat or throw a ball or dance or ballet, whatever it is. Being at church doesn't guarantee that you're going to be a Christian. It certainly doesn't hurt. I think it would increase the odds a little bit. Being here provides us time and space and time with his word. It provides a counterpoint to what we see and are told in the world each and every day. I tell the youth all the time, you hang, what you hang around, it matters, right? What you watch matters. What you listen to, it matters. What and who you invest your time in impacts who you are as a person. And if you hang around with dirt, if you watch dirt, if you listen to dirt, you're going to get dirty. And that's just the truth. The Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What are you saying? How are you speaking? Because I believe we can all increase our knowledge in Scripture this year and knowing God better. But let us read my verse for the year, and we're going to talk about some of the various types of knowledges we gain by reading Scripture. And my verse is 2 Peter 3.18. It's only one verse, so you're just going to stand in your hearts, so stay seated on your butts, and uh, let's read God's Word together. And starting in 2 Peter 3.18, it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Pray with me. Father, this year may we grow in grace and knowledge of you. You are our Lord and you are our Savior. And if there's anyone in here, Lord, who has not confessed you as Lord and Savior, who does not believe in their heart that you are Lord and Savior, may today be the day of their salvation. Lord, be with us in this time. May you be glorified. May you get all the honor, all the glory, all of it. May your will be done, Lord. We love you. We need you. We praise you. Amen. Your spirit can now be seated. So we are to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And how can we go in God's grace if we don't know Jesus, right? Like really know him, not just know like facts and stories about him. As we grow in knowledge, we are to grow in grace as well. But it's, it's interesting because most time when we gain our knowledge about God, people have a tendency not to grow in grace, but to kind of grow like a Pharisee. Right? We start putting like rules and regulations on people that it's not found in Scripture. And we can jump to judgment and falsely attach it to our relationship with Christ. And I'm guessing you might have heard or you might have even said something like when in a church, you know, 
can you believe she wore that? Like, two things, who cares? And secondly, stop gossiping because the Bible does talk about that one. Okay, that's not the kind of biblical knowledge we are called to have. Before I keep rambling and get in trouble, I got three types of knowledge I want to cover. The first one is the most important one. The beginning of true knowledge is believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the beginning of knowledge. When we went to our winter retreat last year, I was supposed to have like six or seven adults with me. But everybody got COVID. Okay? Like a week before we were set to go, like the trip's paid for. There's no refund. It's do or die. And it's myself. It's Miss Blair. It's Wes Nelson. And like 15 youth. Blair taught the girls in small group. Wes taught the boys. I'm worried for most of the trip how we're going to pull this off. But God's ways are always higher than our ways. And his ways are better. And in the midst of the snow and the chaos and being outnumbered by the kids, Wes taught a small group lesson that helped lead one of our kids to Christ. It had a huge impact. That lesson had a huge impact on this young man. And, and Tristan came to wake up and realize that he needed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I'm so thankful for that moment. But also in that lesson, there was a wake-up moment for me as well. Wes quoted Pastor Jerry Vines, who used to be the First Baptist Church of downtown uh, head pastor. And um, he said, there are a lot of people who are going to miss heaven by 18 inches, here and here. They got the head knowledge. They don't have the heart knowledge. And that broke my heart. Because as a youth pastor and a teacher at Providence Christian School, how many kids do I see each and every day that go in there into the youth ministry, that go into, the, that go into Providence, and they're being spiritually fed, but it's all in the head, it's not in the heart? How many people in this little community of ours know of Jesus but don't know anything about him? You ask them, and they'll say they love Jesus, but they can't tell you anything about him. They can tell you, you know, Jesus wept. Can't tell you the verse that he said or where it's from, but they, they, they say they love Jesus. They went to a couple of vacation Bible schools when they were children. They went to a youth camp maybe. They said a prayer, and they think they're good to go. They can live how they want to live. They can do what they want to do. God's word doesn't really matter because Jesus loves everyone just how he is, and Jesus... Because Jesus is my Savior and he died for me. And I hope none of y'all in here think like that. Because Jesus isn't just your Savior. He's also your Lord. And nominal American Christianity is a lie from the pit of hell. But they do get one thing right. Jesus did die for all. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But when an individual comes to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are made new. We are new beings. See, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Coming to know Jesus doesn't reveal who you've been all along. A certain celebrity pastor said that recently. And that is probably the worst adjective you can give a pastor. That word celebrity. No real real God-fearing gospel preaching pastor should ever be called a celebrity and it's not who you've been all along we are new creations when we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and as new creations there are a lot of things we have to learn and unlearn in our lives 
It's work. It is work. Look at the scripture if you don't believe me. Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And these you, too, once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put to death. Killing something's a practice. It's an action. Kill the worldliness in you. Put them all away, right? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. That's an action. I wish things could magically get put away. My son's like a Category 5 hurricane at the house with his toys. Blair can use the, have the house spotless, and she can blink, and Judah will look like a bomb went off. Then you have to fight with a five-year-old to clean up the mess that he just made, and every time, and I mean every single time that we ask Judah to clean up, he mysteriously has a bathroom emergency, and he has to go pee. Some of you Sunday school teachers might know what I'm talking about. It takes threats of throwing away toys, timeout bedtimes, good old-fashioned spankings. It's all the things. It's an act of Congress to get this young man to clean up. So, yes, I wish things could magically be put away, but it's work. And if you have love for the Lord, you work to get rid of those things. And I struggle with this stuff. I can act like a raging lunatic when I get in my fills sometimes. Work stinks sometimes, doesn't it, Dean? Amen. It's a process, though. These things don't magically go away. But work is what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to work for the Lord. Our salvation isn't based off of we do this, God gives us salvation. We have salvation, so now we want to work for God. Okay? It's work to put these things away, but I got news for you, Scooter, and you're welcome, Robert. It's work on the flip side as well. Let's continue reading. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, passionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost, uh, also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. All these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. So if putting things away is work, putting things on is work as well. But I told the youth on Wednesday, just because it's work, it doesn't mean it has to be a hassle. Work isn't a bad thing. If you do what you love, it, it, it sometimes doesn't feel like work. I mean, uh, Jared on Wednesday shared his word with the youth, and he's not here, but let me tell you that he has been such a tremendous blessing to me and the youth ministry. That young man has poured himself into helping the next generation in any way he can. It's awesome watching what God is doing in that young man's life, and I'm glad to be a part of it. I can't tell you. You, you got a good grandson there, Brother Dave. But he shared his word with the youth, and he pointed out that even before the fall of man in the garden, that man was created to work. So even before the fall... We were supposed to work. That's what we're here to do. And a lot of people work on self-improvement, right? Like, I try to work out, but 
Um, I think uh, Miss Elena posted earlier or yesterday that it looks like I work out, but it also, my body also looks like it doesn't say no to cookies, right? That, that's where I'm at as well, all right? I'm in the gym all the time. I'm a weightlifting coach at Providence. I'm helping these young men improve their strength in themselves. I even have been doing cardio. So continue to pray for me in that because cardio is the devil in disguise. I cannot be convinced otherwise. People who run are just built different, okay? I don't get it. I don't understand it. I lift weights because you can lay down and do that, okay? <laughs> the last two books I have read for pleasure have to do with self-improvement. One of the classes I took last semester was about faith and money. It was a seminary class about improving how you control and use your finances for the glory of God. Self-improvement is everywhere, and self-improvement is work. What better way to improve than to do what the Bible has instructed us to work on? Which brings me to my second point. True knowledge is walking in sanctification with Jesus. And sanctification is simply just walking with Jesus each and every day and striving to become more and more and more like him. And here's the problem. Sometimes we get comfortable in our walk and we stop progressing. Some people stop once they get baptized because they think, that's the finish line. That's that nominal American way of thinking. But the, that way of thinking is unbiblical. See, when you're baptized, that is an outward display of an inward change to your friends and family that just like Christ died and arose, I have died to sin and arise as a new creation in Jesus. The baptism isn't the finish line. The baptism is just the start of the marathon. And some of us haven't even started running yet. Hebrew 5 talks about this one, verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Essentially, He's saying you're stuck in the minors when you should be playing in the majors. And the reason is they aren't taking the basic teachings to heart and they're just comfortable with what they're doing and where they're at with their walk. We cannot and should not be complacent in acquiring knowledge in our Lord Jesus. Our theology, what we know about Scripture and of God, should have increased by leaps and bounds. But we are sometimes guilty of not putting any time or any effort into doing so. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger once said, milk is for babies, and he's right. Some of us should be on solid food, because solid food is for the mature in faith. Are we maturing, church? If we are only getting fed on Sundays, we aren't maturing. If you're only getting fed on Sundays and Wednesdays, you're not maturing. Maturing in the faith is a deliberate action drawn on from the Holy Spirit so you can know who God is and what he is about more and more and more. We need to know what scripture actually says. Context matters. If you don't know what the Bible says, how can you know false teachers? And the enemy wants nothing more for, for you in your life to fall for false teachers. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy everything about your relationship with God. The Bible says he stalks around like a roaring lion. I don't know if you watch a lot of National Geographic or those little nature shows, but I love them. Like, I can watch those all day, every day. 
Like Shark Week is the best week. I I can argue that all day, especially when like the great white jumps out and kills the little baby seal, and it, it's in slow motion. It's awesome. Don't run on me. Awesome. All right. But I also like the lion ones. Right. The lions are smart about when and where they're going to attack. They don't attack the strongest antelope or the leader of the little pack. They typically go after the ones not paying attention. They typically go after the ones sitting on the outside of the pack. They typically go for the weaker prey. Don't be weaker prey. Don't be weaker prey. Paul ended the, the, his first letter to the Corinthians, which is technically the second letter, but we don't have the first letter. But with be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. So what does that mean for us? How can we as Christians be watchful? We can do that by following God's directions, by being involved in church, being a part of the body, being around our faith family, by staying in the word and by staying diligent in prayer. You can stand firm in the faith by actually knowing what scripture says. What does scripture actually say? And understand if you ever say things like, well, my Jesus would never, and insert whatever. I got news for you. Probably not the Jesus of the Bible. If your Jesus is nothing but all love and all forgiveness and all mercy, then you've created an idol. This isn't Build-A-Bear's workshop. This isn't a create a Jesus. It's not how it works. We need to know what scripture actually says and to use it in the correct context. Listen to Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." It's time to grow up, Peter Pan. We are God's children, but we are no longer just children. And our knowledge of God needs to grow deeper and deeper in this year and every year after. Instead of thinking that 22 has become the year of spiritual maturity, we can renew our commitment by continually and unfalteringly seeking him for all of our years and all eternity. See, we know the true knowledge of saving faith. We know the true knowledge of walking in sanctification with the Lord and the final true knowledge is understanding the mission of God before Christ left this earth and ascended to the right hand of the father he gave his disciples the great commission to go out and make disciples and make disciples and make disciples unto all ends of the earth and we're called to make disciples that isn't specifically just for a pastor we are all called to make disciples Adam Fuller who was an English Baptist pastor who assisted William Carey William Carey is the father of modern missions he said I have found the more I do for Christ the better it is with me I never enjoyed so much the pleasures of religion as I have within the last two years since we have engaged in the mission business see kingdom work is the most enjoyable thing anyone can do that is why James can tell us to consider it all joy when we face trials of various kinds because it's all for Jesus Adoniram Judson, who was an American missionary in Burma, he buried two wives and several infant children. He suffered many hardships, but much fruit in his labors for Jesus. He was called the Apostle of the Love of Christ in Burma. 
He said the motto of every missionary, whether preacher, printer, or schoolmaster, ought to be devoted for life. See, Micah, Pastor Micah touched upon this idea last week when he talked about the perseverance of the Father. We also believe in the perseverance of the saints because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There will be hills and there will be valleys in your Christian walk. There will be good times and there will be not so good times. You might be going through a not so great time right now. The Christ, Christ living isn't just a straight line up. It can be and it will feel like a roller coaster. And sometimes it feels like you're going backwards and upside down. And, but the mission remains the same regardless. To go make disciples and to persevere through it all. And God can't give you more than you can handle. Glad none of y'all said amen to that because that was a test and you passed. Because that's some foolishness. That's a lie from the pit of hell as well. God can give you more than you can handle. There are going to be many things in your life that you aren't going to be able to handle. And that's exactly the point. We aren't supposed to handle it. We're supposed to give it to God. You put your yes on the table and watch how God works. The creator of heaven and earth and all of everything that has existed and will exist is controlled by him. And it's not like he's juggling all these little problems in, in your lives. And if you add one thing to this little thing he's juggling, the whole universe falls apart. God is in control. Y'all wait. God is in control, church. But are you letting him control it? Don't be a backseat driver for God. We need to be fully devoted to Jesus, and to be fully devoted, that means he has to have complete control and complete say in and what you're doing in your life. Amy Carmichael, who was an Irish missionary in India for 55 years without furlough, she opened up an orphanage and was severely injured in a fall, and she was mostly bedridden for the last two decades of her life. She famously echoed the same sentiment when she said, all along, let us remember we are not asked to understand, but simply to obey. Are we being obedient to what the Lord is calling us to do? And he's either asking you to be a goer or to be a sender. And he is asking all of us to share the gospel with someone we know. There are people in our areas of influence who do not know Jesus. Are we telling them about him? See, these men and women I just quoted are some of the most famous missionaries in church history. But they just want to point everyone to Jesus. That's all they want to do. William Carey, the father of the modern missionary movement, he served in India from 1793 to 1834 where he died. He actually never returned to England, which is where he was from, once he uh, sailed for India. He said, when I'm gone, say nothing about Dr. Carey. Speak about Dr. Carey's Savior. See, we should be pointing people to Jesus. That is the mission of the Christian, to point people to Jesus. These men and women left their mark not because of anything they did, but because they were willing to listen to the Lord and they were obedient to him. Through it all, they wanted God to be the only one to get the glory, and many of them lived very hard lives, giving up the modern-day luxuries of their time to do their part in the Great Commission. If the biggest mark you have made for Jesus is an imprint of your butt cheeks on the pews, then something is out of line in your walk with Jesus. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. That is famously written in William Borden's Bible. He died at 25. 
He was in Egypt on the way to China to share the gospel with the Muslims. I just don't see how following Jesus can live a life of regret, lead to a life of regret. I have personally lived for Jesus. I have lived not for Jesus. And let me tell you that living for Jesus wins every single time. I have no regret living for Christ. I have a ton of things I would change when I wasn't living for Jesus. And most of it has to do with, man, I wish I could go back and do it more for Jesus. But thank the Lord for verses like 2 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, where Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. He is talking to them about their repentance from being led away by false teachers. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Those dumb things we did in our lives when we weren't living for Jesus, those regrets we constantly hold on to, we don't even got to hold on to them. We aren't identified by our biggest mistake, whatever that might look like. If that regret produced a change of repentance, that has led to a salvation without regret. Praise God for his mercy. See, a, a salvation without regret means living a life pleasing to the Lord. And we, as a body of believers, have a mission. The mission of the church is missions. I thank God for a church that is mission-minded. But we have not been able to do global missions since COVID, right? I'm praying that changes this year. And I'm praying more and more and people in this church will see the real need to sending more, for giving more, for praying more. So people who are on a pathway to hell will have their entire eternity changed because you put your yes on the table. And that yes looks a lot different for a lot of different people. For some, it's being diligent in prayer for missions. For others, it's giving to missions to send men and women out into the mission field. And for others, it's, it's going and I pray on the 26th when we have our missions meeting that that room is filled with people who see the real need and the real desire for this church to do global missions. I pray that God uses this church for his mission work. Charles Spurgeon once said, and this is going to be on the screen, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus in a totally silent tongue about him. Of course, I do not mean by that that those who use the pen are silent. They are not. And those who help others to use the tongue or spread that which others have written are doing their part well. But that man who says, I believe in Jesus, but does not think enough of Jesus ever to tell another about him by mouth or pen or track is an imposter. So according to the prince of preachers, we should all be sharing the gospel with someone. You don't have to go to India to share the gospel of Jesus. I pray the Lord tugs on your heart that you want to go on a mission trip. But there is someone in your area of influence who does not know Jesus or who no longer pursues a relationship with him. And maybe, just maybe, God has placed you in their life to tell them about the gospel or to help bring them back to church. I tell the youth this all the time. 
all the time. You don't have to be a theological scholar to do this. It's simply telling people what God is doing in your life, what God's doing in your church, inviting people to church, inviting them to church events. It does not have to be a big grand gesture. In the youth ministry, we always pray for one. We pray for one. We each have one person in our area of influence who we know doesn't love Jesus or who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus anymore, and we pray for that person. We pray for opportunities to reach that person. We pray for opportunities to invite them to come to youth events. We've talked about, as a group, the times that God has given us those opportunities when we share the gospel with them. Could you imagine the impact of doing that with every person in this church? What would that do to our community? What would that do to families? How many people's eternal trajectory would completely change because we prayed and sought after them and the Lord provided? I'm wrapping this whole thing up. But I, I hope you're thinking about that because if you're able and willing, go ahead and stand. Stand. We're going to do something a little bit different right now. And I would say, can I invite the band up here? But Kyle, if you would like to come up. Go ahead and bow your heads. <clears throat> and I want you to think of one person in your life who does not know Jesus. Or maybe your mind is drawn to a friend or loved one who's no longer in right relationship with the Lord. And in this moment, I want you to pray for him. I want you to pray for him. Because prayer changes things, church. Prayer matters. You're talking to the creator of heaven and earth right now. I want you to pray for opportunities to talk to them about God, about coming to church, or about coming back to church. Pray to the Lord that when you have that opportunity, that the right words will be said, and that you will be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to have the courage to have this conversation. Father, we love you. Father, we need you. The beginning of true knowledge starts and ends with you. Lord, there are people in this world that don't know you. Lord, there's people we know that don't know you. Lord, may we be the ones that bring them to you. Use us, Lord. Use us. Use us for your glory. We pray for opportunities to share what you're doing in our lives. We're praying for opportunities to share your gospel. What you're doing in this church. Lord, be with us. Be with us. Amen. Sing, lift up our eyes. Lift up our eyes 
see the King has come. Light of the world reaching out for us. There is no other name. There is no other name. Jesus Christ our God. Mountains bow down as we lift him up. There is no other name. There is no other name. Jesus Christ our God. Oh, find hope when all the Peace,